Greetings, Maltopians. Are you looking to delve deeper into the world of Maltopia? Then check out our Patreon, where you can find written mythos pieces, world maps, found footage, art, Patreon-exclusive shows, and more. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Maltopia and join one of our tiers for access to great new content. Brave the forbidden and embrace the darkness. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Vague colors palpitated in the black, a throbbing bruise upon the darkness. Faint sounds whispered in the void and muffled sibilances muttered somewhere in the pitch. There was a sense of vertigo despite the lack of visual input, a feeling of spinning, circling the infinite mass of a hungry black hole. Wesley felt like a piece of debris drifting through a dead star's afterlife, 
swimming aimlessly through its kaleidoscopic entrails. He felt his smallness, his relative meagerness to something awful and vast. It loomed like a hollow sky, yawning and hungry, infinite. Just as he thought it might devour him, draw him into its gaping maw, the light of consciousness shone through. Sounds of an external world crept in, and shapes started to coalesce. It was no less a nightmare, however. It was as if the unconscious horrors living in his head had leaked into reality, sprawled themselves wide across its prosaic canvas. But instead of foreboding cosmic presences, there was infernal industry, machines whirred and clicked all around him, the chance of occult technologies. He tried to move, but found his limbs restrained, bound in some hellish conflation of flesh and metal. Wesley's vision was still blurry, but he could make out undulating shapes around him, things he was sure would defy explanation, even if he could see clearly. When his sight finally became more apparent, he saw Alaric standing on the other side of the room with a pleasant smile. It lacked the diabolical sentiment he would have expected. Instead, there was a kind of politeness to his grin, a bedside manner you would expect from a doctor. I hope you're not too uncomfortable, Dr. Morrigan. Again, this is not how we plan to do things, but you had to let your curiosity get the best of you. There was a part of Wesley that felt excited for the moment. It almost sickened him to look forward to violence. He'd anticipated this moment, and he felt a slight sting of pride in his breast for being able to predict the behaviors of an advanced, albeit mad, race of sadistic technocrats. He could feel Hesperius's grin widen somewhere inside him. <laughs> You're starting to understand the satisfaction of killing little Wesley. The thrill of knowing something your victim doesn't. The rush of holding someone else's fate in your hands. I'm going to savor this just for you. <laughs> Wesley didn't want to dignify Hesperius's words with a response, as he was already disgusted by his own. Instead, he looked at Alaric with a kind of horrible desire, a desperate want to watch his face contort into a disfiguration of screams and cries. He hated himself for feeling it, but there was no time to lament. You know, Alaric, you had us fooled for a bit. We thought there might be an ounce of decency on this shithole continent of yours. But you proved us wrong. That's why I won't feel too bad for doing what I'm about to do. Spirits, what, what the hell is wrong? Come out, goddammit, come out! It's not working for some reason, I can't... I can't emerge! Why, Dr. Morgan? Did you think we didn't know about your other? <laughs> the blood tests wouldn't show anything, of course, but we've bioetheric scanners integrated into some of our personal optics. To be overly cautious, we administered you a kind of ethereal paralytic, essentially keeping your body conformed to its dominant bioetheric signature. It's part of the reason we didn't wish to hasten your capture. We were hoping to conduct other, less invasive tests. But as you know, Things do not always go as planned. Violent desires soon turned to indignant rage, and Wesley again struggled against his constraints. Ugh, you fucking piece of shit! Let me go! The hell do you freaks want? Knowledge, of course. What larger reward is there? It is information, data, that is the path to godhood, you see. You were a man of science once. You understand that to ascend, to surpass the barriers of evolution's plan, one must take the reins, guide their own evolutionary destinies. 
You're all goddamn abominations. We have things like morals and ethical conduct. You're all just science gone awry. Frankensteinian fucking cliches let off their leash. <laughs> I wish I understood that last part. But perhaps if your kind had been more like this Frankenstein, you wouldn't be in this predicament. Morals are the crutch of the weak-minded, those who are content with their cosmic status. They are ideas etched in so much wet sand. Social trends, if you will. Meaningless and intangible, washed away by the next tide. Wesley wouldn't get into an ethical debate with the creature. There were more pressing matters. Where are the others? What have you done with them? What have you done with Sal? Why, we're researching them, of course. Would you like to see them? Well, Salvatore, anyway. I'm afraid Mr. Gall is indisposed at the moment. Wesley wasn't sure what he meant by indisposed, but it didn't sound good. However, his outburst could potentially end his prospects of seeing Sal. He needed to be calm. Asperius, on the other hand, was not so quiet. Let off this wretched little fucking flesh bag. We need to tear him apart, feast on his guts, boil his insides. I will not rest until... Shut up. Just shut up. We don't have any choice now. You ranting about how he managed to beat us isn't going to do anything. You pusillanimous little bug. I ought to fucking melt that primate brain of yours. Your reaction doesn't surprise me, however. Weakling that you are. Wesley ignored the insults, knowing he would only fuel Hesperius's tirade if he responded. He looked at Alaric, who still had a smug smile. Yes, yes, please, let, let me see Sal. Is, is he okay? Oh, he's doing wonderfully. Previous specimens' immune systems became hyperactive, destroying itself in an attempt to exercise the bonding organism. Well, wait, what, what the hell do you mean, bonding organism? What? Calm yourself, Dr. Morgan. Preliminary results are auspicious. A large screen began sliding down from the ceiling, and soon an image faded in. Floating in a large capsule of green bubbling fluid was Salvatore, unconscious but alive. Bizarre organic tubers were jutting in and out of his vigor, viscous fluids shunting through his prone body. Mechanical wires crawled beneath the skin like a network of worming vasculature. Various scanners and monitors tracked his vitals and other things Wesley had no idea how to interpret. They're bioetheric scanners, cryptoorganic radiography, spectrogenetic analysis, and a bunch more shit essentially monitoring his biological and spectral vitals. How the, how the hell do you know all that? Do you honestly think your simple simian minds were the first to dawn on such technology? <laughs> Creatures far more ancient than your apish race developed technologies infinitely more advanced than what humans could conjure from sticks and stones. Wesley looked on in horror sharp instruments poking into his friend's skin, his body a war zone of tubes, wires, and surgical incisions. However, a strange scar decorated his upper right chest, which teemed with a subdued effulgence. What the hell have you done to him? You've already seen some of our previous attempts. The organism seeks to pair with a host, you see. However, we've yet to find a suitable host for it. The bonding process is advanced, and we haven't quite isolated all the variables to contribute to its ideal conditions. Your species proved to be the closest match we found. After conducting an in-depth genetic analysis of all of you, your friend cells seemed the best fit. The rest of you possessed confounding variables. Rage coursed through Wesley as surely as blood pumped through his veins. 
You fucking sons of bitches. You're killing him. We're not killing him at all. We're improving him. Of course, if he does survive the process, proper protocols will have to be implemented to ensure he's compliant. What the hell have you put in him? <laughs> That's the interesting part, Dr. Morgan. We don't know. The thing doesn't seem indigenous to Gion. We postulate it came from one of the other places Gion has traveled to. It's quite an interesting project. We hope it bears fruit. Wesley's head dipped down as if it contained lead. His plan to save his friends had failed, and he was powerless to do anything about it. I am quite curious where your other friend ran off to, Mr. Moffat. Wesley's stomach dropped, surprised. Wait a second, you... You don't have him? No. As I said, we've been unable to locate him. I thought you were lying about that. Much to my chagrin, I am not. It seems he had doubts about us and left in the middle of the night. He no doubt plans to leave the city. I have to hand it to him. Going undetected in our city is not easy, but we'll find him soon enough, I'm sure. That fucking coward! You should have killed him when you had the chance, you fucking spineless whelp! Wesley's mind wandered, wondering what Moffat might be up to. Indeed, he could have foreseen something and simply escaped. But a part of him thought otherwise. As much as he loathed the man, Moffat's actions were never reactionary, one-dimensional. He had difficulty imagining Moffat seeing something and then simply running away. It wasn't that he thought the man was brave. He simply couldn't imagine him getting caught by surprise by a single move on a chessboard. He would find it demeaning. He looked at Alaric, still beaming across the room, an intricate mess of machinery whirring and blinking behind him. No, Dr. Morgan, you've had enough wait time. It's time you rested. We'll talk again soon. One of Alaric's many mechanical appendages snapped out, twirling and twisting until a syringe containing an unknown red fluid penetrated his neck. The dark began to return, closing in from his periphery like the ebon jaws of some encroaching monster. He felt himself floating again, drifting in the depths of inner space, feeling the stare of something unimaginable and terrible. Moffat slowly emerged from the shadows, slipping down a labyrinth of alleyways and stone corridors. He'd seen them before, writhing upon the walls as inky silhouettes. He continued through the city, making sure to avoid any crowds or wandering chimerith. He stayed away from the main streets where, presumably, the scanners were located. He dealt with enough technocratic organizations and secret sects to know they were fond of surveillance. He arrived at a corner, various groups of Belphine traveling to God knew where, Chimerith by their side like giant dogs. Moffat slid beneath the shade of what looked like a lamppost, one with strange suction-like appendages and a bulbous growth that was bioluminescent. Tiny mechanical dendritic limbs sprouted out to perform real-time light adjustments. It was grim, but fantastic technology. Contrary to what he let on, he had seen similar tech before, but didn't understand how it could be related to what he had previously seen. But anything was possible, he supposed. He waited until the mass of strange beings vacated to the other side of the street, and then made his way into an adjacent alleyway behind some strange buildings that looked more like a mix of a skyscraper and cephalopod than an inert structure. Many would think that such integration wouldn't be functional. Still, only some understood the sophistication of biological organisms, and how advanced technology is a synthetic analog to the systems already mediating your body's function. 
It's as if, on some unconscious level, the organism is attempting to perpetuate itself and construct new mediums to improve its overall function and integrity. Perhaps the Belphine were onto something. Regardless of the objective veracity of their beliefs, they were a barrier. A barrier he would turn into a tool. Knowing the future was a tricky thing. Getting it to change was even trickier. So much attention needed to be paid to detail. So many interwining factors complicating the potential outcomes. It was chess within a chess game. Pawns controlling kings controlling pawns. The shadows were fickle things with a blatant disregard for human desire or sensibilities. Cold as the fates they often revealed. One needed to be equally cruel and callous to read them. And, if possible, change them. He could see strange winged things cruising the skies, the subtle buzz of their scanners reaching his perked ears. He knew they were looking for him, no doubt amazed he could leave undetected. They had found the body of one of the house caretakers by now. However, he doubted they understood the significance of its specific mutilations. Once he realized they monitored the house in shifts, it took little to ambush one in the kitchen during the night hours, slitting its throat and stashing the body in a hidden nook in the basement. The other caretaker wouldn't be back until the morning and most likely wouldn't find the body until long after he was gone. Moffat found a stairway that went underground into a sort of subway station. He knew it cut across the more busy sections of the city, bringing him closer to his destination. He slowly entered the subterranean passage, dim lights illuminating his way. Within was a sparse menagerie of Chimerith and their Belphine masters, awaiting transportation from whatever bioelectrical abomination was heading through the tunnel. He was shrouded in the cloak of his once lively host, hoping the disguise would be enough to throw off his would-be captors. He casually traversed the path ahead, doing his best not to look conspicuous. He could hear the strange sound of infernal engineering careening somewhere deep in the blackness, approaching with increasing velocity. He looked over the platform he was standing on, but saw nothing like tracks. Instead, there were peculiar stretches of biological stratum, strips of muscular flesh covered in sebaceous fluids. A part of him wanted to linger, to see what kind of twisted innovation was careening through the dark. But he thought better of himself and continued climbing up a series of spiraling stairs back to the city surface. As he went, he could hear the growl of something both living and mechanical below. The chaotic pitter-patter of feet, alien appendages, and cybernetic limbs accompanying it. Moffat immediately took to the side streets, finding a vein of wandering cobblestone. Then he saw what he was looking for, the next landmark. It was a chapel of sorts, perhaps another, smaller manufactorum. It was the same one he saw in the shadows. After he killed his multi-limbed host, he severed the man's hand and then burned it in his lantern. As he expected, the man's flesh conceived visions of the present, glimpses of the alien city and where his next destination lay. The lantern was specific that way. If he wanted visions of the past, the elderly were the best kindling. If he wanted to see the future, children. It was a macabre business, to be sure. He had never burned anyone alive himself, but was given pieces of the aforementioned demographics for his soothsaying. There were other ways, of course, different materials and rituals that resulted in varying outcomes. However, the shadows always demanded a steep price. Moffat silently walked over to the building, carefully staying within the casted abyss of the jutting structure. He was close now. He sidled up to the stone wall of the edifice and moved along its smooth contours. Once he reached the back of the place, he waited. 
He stood there patiently for about 15 minutes when he heard the crunch of brittle grass and soil. A figure emerged from the city mists and went to the back of the building. The sound of subterranean machinery whispered from the ground, and an extensive structure emerged. It was a door. A metallic tendril jutted up from the soil, its end opening up and scanning the man. An electronic beep disturbed the silence, and the door slipped open. While Cyrus was not a fighter, he was clever. He quickly lit his lantern, which suddenly exploded with light. As was common, reality began to distort, bend, and he could see the woman become disoriented. He then acted as quickly as he could, and ran a knife through her throat. A flood of crimson sprayed out of her neck like a severed gas line, spewing in the air and crashing in gouts upon the ground. Moffat was quick to step across the threshold before the door closed, the sound of the body hitting the dirt muffled through the door. He made his way down the stairs, his lantern out, illuminating the throat of a darkened hallway. His memory returned to the shadows, the blackened corridors he saw undulating on the wall. There was always some guesswork in these kinds of things. In the vision, he saw the woman he just killed at a control panel of sorts. That was the destination, the point of no return, their only chance to survive. He traveled down a maze of various hallways, passing what looked like maintenance rooms, the mechanical innards that made everything in the building run. He was in the right place. He descended a set of metal stairs and arrived in a strange basement area. Pulsating tubers and fleshy wires ran across the surface of the ceiling and spread like vasculature across various electronic interfaces. However, much of it extended into the next room, where he could hear the palpitation of outre organics and esoteric tech. He entered the room and beheld what looked like a nerve center. Muscular tendons and ligatures spanned the room, interfacing with various complex circuits that seemed to shunt energy through several pulsating arteries. This is where he needed to be. He had no idea how to operate anything, but didn't need to. He just needed to shut it down. He looked about the room and found a pipe-like object in the corner. It would do the job. Moffat picked up the bar and smashed the bizarre machinery before him. Sparks bled from severed wires and organic material either spilled foul-smelling fluids on the floor or reflexively receded from the strikes, abandoning their connectivity with the rest of the devices. He continued smashing the equipment until he saw the lights blink and go out. The deep hum of the power dying echoed throughout the building. Moffat knew a place this advanced must have backups, but his little power outage would hopefully provide the window needed to kickstart things and catalyze the next leg of his plan. Bioetheric signatures of both subjects are stable. Move forward with the infusion of radioisotope Z621. How are the subject's vitals? Enhanced. Tissue acceptance and assimilation are at 73%. 36% more than any previous subject. Genetic sharing and conflation rates are accelerated while bioetheric convergence reaches maximum values. 
Excellent. Monitor biorhythms and... What's happened? The power seems to have failed. The auto-generator should restore power momentarily. What was that? What was that? He's a subject! He's awake! Quickly! Alert security! Alert! Pieces of shit. I'm gonna decorate this fucking room with your insides. And then I'm gonna burn this whole fucking city to the ground. Grimland is a Maltopia production. Today's episode was written by Stephen Anslone. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld. Sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anzalone. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. And if you'd like to know more about Grimland and contribute to its nightmarish expansion, visit us at www.patreon.com forward slash Maltopia, where you can gain access to all sorts of art, mythology, stories, and more. For more information about Grimland and the world of Maltopia, visit us at maltopia.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.